Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Charles Cantor joins us now, Newberger Berman Group Managing Director and Portfolio Management Director. So, uh, Charles, what is it? Is it the uh, the Republican take that it's happening or the Democrat take that this is the PR machine in overdrive? Look, I think I focus on the corporate side and, and corporations have been waiting all year to make decisions. Tax is an important part of any calculation on return on capital. Taxes for, for U.S. companies just went down 40% in rate, um, and now we're starting to see decisions. And and it's it's and the key one, I feel bad for all the finance directors out there. They're going to have a very, <laughs> very busy Christmas and New Year. Yeah. But the key decision, and it'll get played out over time, is is how, how much of the, should I say, windfall do, do the companies keep versus pass along to employees, um, shareholders, and customers, and there in this incredibly competitive global economy, a lot's getting passed along. A the, lot. The easy decision to make is the mechanical decision. You look at what your forecasts are for next year. You bake in a lower rate, and you raise your guidance. That's really mechanical. What's going to play out through next year, as you point out, is the capex story. What are they going to do? Do they shift from capital returns to capital spending? From an investor standpoint, what do you want to see them do with that cash? there's no one answer to that question, which is what's going to make next year so exciting for people that focus on individual securities, which is what my day job is. Um, and it, 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 it's so bifurcated by company and by sector, by competitive landscape. Businesses that have large monopoly moats and don't feel they face a big competitive threat and are high tax paying, they're going to you know, keep a lot of that. And, and businesses that operate in super competitive markets, which is, by the way, most of the world, um, are going to be are going to be making sure that they react faster than their competitors in in how they think about how much of the cash they keep um, versus versus reinvest to to maintain and grow um, market share profitably. I would take a little question around you know this tax things easy. It's not easy. Taxes are by definition hugely complicated. Yeah. Um, and there's so much nuance. Um, in the language, and there's nuance in, in, in how to apply that. Um, and in that nuance, there'll be a lot of shareholder value created as well. Welcome, Tom King. Tom, Tom, you were signaling that you, you wanted okay into the conversation. You, you, you waved your hand. I, I'm sorry. You I'm waved a, your I'm, hand. Are you I'm with a, us today? I, no, no. Are you, I've, are you I've joining? Checked, Was I've there a fly? I've checked out for the holidays. Oh, Hello, okay. everybody. Good morning. Bloomberg Surveillance. Brought to you by, as always, Invesco. Learn how Invesco's peer focus on investing diversity of thought and passion to exceed can help you get more out of life. Visit Invesco.com slash more out of life. John, can I start with a surveillance correction? You can start with a surveillance I, correction. I mentioned earlier that with all the tax bill, maybe the sports people in Washington set up like an LLC, like a pass-through thing. Right, okay. And Boris tweets in and says, Tom, you're nuts. They can't. I don't know. But that's an interesting idea. If they can't set up their own sidecar deal, and is that if they're a, on the is, Redskins, is, that's uh, not really a proper correction, is it? 
it's sort of a correction. Okay. I just, we're scrupulous about, we, we love when we hear from our guests that we've made uh, mistakes. That keeps us How's Christmas on our at the Keynes household Oh, it today? is because, ramped up. Because you seem distracted, Tom. The 10-year-old has, it's like the deficit clock above her bed. The she? countdown thing. Is that your bank She's account? Count, it's like, you know, the Fed meeting <laughs> in 31 minutes, 12 seconds. She's like five or six days, hours, seconds. We're fired. We're fired up. The tree got watered once this week. I think the tree's going to, all the needles are going to come off it here in a bit. Charles Cantor, yes. when, when we look at the boom that's out there, we saw 30 days ago literally a jump condition in retail sales. How do you react as an investment guy when the president says we're going to get 3% GDP or Mr. Cohn, ex-Goldman Sachs, says, no, we're going to get 4% GDP? Oh, I don't think we, we, we react a whole lot to that. I mean, we... We're in an environment where where we we back to 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 global synchronized economic growth. Every G7 economy is in expansion territory. Most of the BRIC economies are in in expansion territory, and that's a that's a wonderful environment to to sell more goods and services. Um, and I think and and we we have an environment in the U.S. where we have nice nice reasonably nice full employment. Well. Away from uh, alternative investments and yeah. long short funds, yeah. would you suggest another double digit year? Not so much to make a single point estimate, but that the gloom crew looking for a tendency back to single digits is off the mark? It's hard to predict returns um, in any one year. If I was going to make a prediction, um, I would say equity assets positive next year with more volatility. Um, and what was quite surprising to me um, late last week was 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 a study done by a major consulting firm, which which seemed to suggest that confidence and skepticism um, remains really really high. And and I got to tell you, that's a great environment to deploy yeah, capital. Yeah. I'd rather deploy into skepticism than into euphoria. And what's been remarkable about the Bull market. I mean, I don't even know if people call it a bull market, but there's been a bull market out there since since early 2009. Is people haven't believed any of those steps, yeah, and they remain skeptical. And against skepticism, um, you can make money because it you the the speedometer usually starts with tremendous skepticism um, and ends with euphoria. And we haven't got close to euphoria yet. You made quite a significant call in that last comment, and it was the prospect for higher vol next year. What's the catalyst for higher vol? The VIX yesterday had an eight handle. I'm wondering what gets it north of 10, never Did mind really? significantly higher that. vol. I missed yeah. that. We rolled over. Uh, listen, I think um, fiscal stuff is way more complicated than monetary stuff. And on the margin, we're tilting more and more to to, to, to fiscal versus monetary. The, the, the amount of global liquidity while in aggregate is still growing, the the rate of change is slowing and will go negative in a in a couple of years. So so I would anticipate as you think through taxes, as you think through fiscal policy, as you think through new communication from the Fed, not to suggest they'll communicate something different, but there'll yeah. be a new leader there and there'll be a new communication style. Um, I can't predict to you when it shows up, but my guess is it will show up, mostly because we've lived yeah. in an environment of just unusually, unusually low vol mm. because of this tremendous amount of global liquidity out there. 
Uh, Bloomberg Radio sees it first. We just put out on Twitter that three-day intraday chart showing John Farrow's eight handle on the VIX spiked down eight, eight, under nine. Eight ninety yesterday, yeah. yeah. Is that significant to you, Charles? When you think about it, so many people get worried about no. low vol, then they get worried about high vol, as if it signals something. What does eight signal? It. I'm not. I don't know what it signals, but but low vol has been has been hurtful to those that understand the assets best yeah. and has been helpful to those that believe that can self-drive asset allocation. And as vol changes, um, folks will realize that knowing what you own will become incredibly more important, especially in a world where you're going to have bifurcation around return on capital because of taxes. Quickly here, is there opportunity in mid-caps? I mean, we always we have a bad tendency here to only talk about visible large caps. You must be scouring the landscape. We love mid-caps. Mid, yeah. We love finding businesses that can grow and be large. On the margin, the mid-caps have, have gone right. globally less, and they're going to benefit. Um, okay. Because I, I, of time, we got to go. Can we come back, John, and talk about this? Can we come back? Uh, of course we can. Uh, you need, you honestly huge need deal. my permission to no, do I that. No, I think it's a huge <laughs> deal. I mean, I'm a huge believer in this mid-cap theory. We'll do that with Charles Cantor of Newberger Berman. Dan Collender, if you were having a beverage of your choice this morning, a good cup of black coffee, what would be the single talking point about where the deficit is in two years? Oh, we're going to be talking about trillion-dollar annual deficits for the next two decades. Trillion, and at least trillion, and that assumes that nothing further, nothing bad is going to happen right. that's not currently anticipated, and we know something bad, something always bad happens. Washington 101 is no one cares when they go in the voting booth about the deficit. Do you see that November 6th of next year, or is this time different where people actually are going to care about the T-word? Well, the deficit is, is always, a, as an issue, is a subterfuge for other things. Um, it, it often is ascribed to a, a corrupt government or something like that. People won't care about it in November 2018 unless, unless the the interest rates start getting higher, the economy's not growing, um, or unless it's used as, as an excuse to cut Medicare and Social Security. Stan, the deficit uh, that, hasn't mattered for, for years, and it's been climbing for years. The total debt pile has been climbing for years. Why does it matter now? No, no, I'm saying it doesn't, uh, yeah. unless, unless it has an impact on things that have, have a direct effect on people's lives, like interest rates. Are you expecting uh, the deficit to be increasingly politicized over the next year? Oh, almost. Well, the Republicans have actually already started to do that in, in one of the ultimate uh, exercises in hypocrisy. They've increased the deficit by one and a half trillion dollars or, or uh, by their numbers over the next 10 years. Um, and then now they're saying that the deficit is the reason they have to cut spending. So first they increased the deficit substantially with tax cuts and now it's the de it's spending's fault. So it will be a reason to do something. It won't be the thing that needs to be taken care of. It's clear to me that in the United States, the deficit hawks disappear once they get into power. Then when they're out of power, they become ultimately deficit hawks once again. Is anyone in power at any time soon going to want to do anything about it? Well, yeah. Um, even Paul Ryan said uh, last week and other members, uh, Ted Cruz and others, have said the deficit is, is going to be too high and we're going to have to cut spending to deal with it. 
Uh, I was on a program with someone from the Heritage Foundation a month ago who said, yes, we're going to cut taxes and re increase the deficit, and it's a spending problem. So that will be the excuse they use, but they, it, yeah. it's not that they want to increase, reduce the deficit by itself. And my experience as well, Stan Collender, is that corporate officers really don't adjust to the 60,000-foot view of fiscal policy, debts, deficits, and the rest of it. But to your point, they do adjust to higher interest rates. How much of an interest rate move do we need before it changes the 24-7 celebration of corporations? Well, it, it, it's not so much that interest rates will move in, 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 in just because we are expecting interest rates to rise anyway over the next year. It's whether they'll rise more than anticipated. And if we got a one point, one point zero uh, point increase uh, in interest rates in 2018, uh, I suspect you'd have a lot of uh, hand-wringing and people demanding yeah. that the deficit be reduced. So is that your prediction for 2018 within the corporate political nexus, that hand-wringing will be, you're going to go long hand-wringing for 1231-18? Yeah, a lot, a, a lot of hand lotion is going to be needed, uh, you know, so, 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 so buy some Lubriderm or something like that because uh, that, 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 but uh, there'll be a lot of push on spending, not so much on revenues. And then of course, what, what, what happens after the 2018 election, no one can be sure. But um, I, I want to, you and Jonathan, I want to urge you to, to keep in mind that the projections of a trillion or $1.1 trillion annual deficit that I'm making assume that nothing bad like a war is going to happen or that other natural disasters won't occur. And one or more of those happen all the time. So we could easily be talking about $1.5 trillion, yeah. in which case the pressure on, on spending would be enormous. Or perhaps something even more inevitable outside of a war. Stan, at some point, we're going to have a downturn. Um, your prediction for the deficit, at what point do you incorporate the prospect of a drop in GDP, given that this expansion has gone on for years and years and years now? Well, all right, I'm not one of those people who thinks that the past is a, is a good predictor of, of, uh, of what's going to happen in the future. So the fact that we haven't had a, a drop in the last eight or nine years or so doesn't necessarily convince me that one is imminent. But you've got to believe that it's uh, probably not in 2018, but beyond that, there's going to be right. some, some reduction in, in, in GDP. I, I know you have a busy week ahead of you, and I believe one of your appointments is with the president at the White House. And over you know, two scoops of ice cream, the president of the United States is going to ask Stan Collender what the plug-in should be for his debt and fiscal calculations. Is it 3%? Can Stan Collender plug a 4% statistic into your budget analysis? Um, I can, and I, and I, I, in terms of debt to GDP, I, I, I. Well, what about GDP? What about just GDP analysis? Can you, can you, can you use a run rate of even three point zero percent for GDP? Um, I can for the next year. Uh, that's that's. I mean, we've got it now, and uh, the additional stimulus we're adding is going to probably goose it up a little bit. But beyond that, it's not. It's certainly not sustainable, especially with interest rates that are likely to rise. Now, the other thing you guys know better than I do is that we've got to watch world demand. I'm not sure what's going to be going on there past next year. Stan, can I get your thoughts on a corporate response so far? We've had several companies come out and do various things. You've got the mechanical response you would expect on a tax cut, which is just, this was our guidance for next year. Now we're plugging in a lower tax rate, and this is our guidance now. It's very mechanical. You expect it to happen. The other one is just a pure decision that's being made. AT&T, Fifth Third Bank Corp, and Comcast have all announced $1,000 bonuses for their U.S. workers. Wells Fargo has actually joined Fifth Third by raising its minimum hourly wage to $15. How would you characterize the decisions that are being made? Is that made by the corporate PR team or is that made by the CFO? 
No, no, that's made by at, at the, the highest levels. On, on the eight, those are different situations. The, I, I think the AT&T thing was a, a signal to the president that they want this deal with Comcast to go through um, and that they're willing to play along to get him some of the publicity he wants. Uh, I'm not sure that that wasn't planned or, or, was, or, or wasn't gonna, they weren't going to think about that anyway. Um, the, 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 way, the, the minimum wage increases that uh, the others were talking about, um, that seems to be new, but I want to urge you, remember what happened in Indiana with the carrier plant? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, let's see if they, they actually carry through yeah. on these announcements. Stan Calder, final question, if, if we should, and this goes to the, the back and forth, the almost generational back and forth of Congress. What is your experience if another party comes into power? Do they go back in like retroactive legislation? Do they change it? Do they amend it? Or once something becomes financial fiscal law, it's sort of bronzed into perpetuity. Which is it? Yeah, well, let's remember, Ronald Reagan signed a big tax cut and then, then uh, spent the rest of his presidency signing tax increases because the first one had to be undone because the deficit was getting so high back then. Um, new, new Congress comes in, depending upon the size of the majority, if it's a Democratic majority in both houses and it's a substantial majority, yeah. uh, there will be some pushback. There will be some take back on this. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about but that. This is absolutely critical. Are you predicting a Reagan redux if we get to that trillion dollar statistic on the deficit? No, not, not at a trillion, but if it gets a trillion and a half or something, there's okay. going to be a lot of people talking about it. This has been wonderful. Stan Collender, greatly appreciate it and value uh, perspective here for decades on Capitol Hill and with MS, Corvus MSL Group. Matthew Winkler, uh, Editor-in-Chief Emeritus, here at Bloomberg. For our listeners that don't know, um, Matt Winkler is responsible for hiring Tom Keane. Uh, and, and since we're in the holiday season, I, I want Matt to explain to our listeners the day he brings Matt Tom Keane into the building and gives him a job. Matt, can you do that for us? It is the holiday. Yeah, it is. It it was I think sort of the end of the yearish, and uh, <laughs> maybe like around now he was sitting around going, "What and, do I do now?" Yeah. And uh, I got a I got a call from uh, Doug De Silva, somebody we call application specialists, uh, who know everything there is to know about how to use the Bloomberg. So I had a lot of time for for Doug when he called me and he said, "There's this uh, fellow I'd like you to to meet if you have a chance." Um, can I come see you with him? And I said, sure. And, uh, sh you know, soon enough, standing in front of me uh, was this giant, uh, to me at least, because when you put Tom Keene next to me, he does look like with a With a bus cop. Yeah. He, he looked like a very lanky Weeb Eubank to me at the time. Uh, and, um, you know, I said, uh, so what's going on in the markets? And I got a five-minute monologue that was about as intelligent and coherent as anything I had heard. So I said to him, can you start on Monday? That's what happened. I sat down. I came back the next day, literally. And I sat down. And folks, this is the magic of Bloomberg. There's a guy sitting next to me. And I go, who the hell is this guy? So I'm like, I'm Googling. <laughs> F-E-L-I-X-K-E-S-S-L-E-R. And I didn't realize the entire row of people I was sitting with were real journalists, <laughs> including the great Felix Kessler. 
I mean, and that was Bloomberg, was the magic of of real uh, journalism. Matt Winkler, thank you uh, so much for uh, a Bloomberg View and this smart article on a gentleman from Fidelity. John? And thank you for hiring Tom Keane, I guess. So you can either thank Matt or, or blame Matt okay. for our listeners out there, depending on where you stand. Matt Winkler, it's been great to catch up. Bloomberg blockchain, everyone. Thought I'd try that out. Bloomberg, does that work? Bloomberg blockchain? Blockchain, Bitcoin.com. <clears throat> John Farrow, Tim uh, Fox, Tom Keen. Yeah, you know, green shoots. I've got up LTEA. Go ahead. What does the Securities Exchange Commission do? I mean, I'm looking at the chart, and it says 2 to $11. Oh, I thought you were looking cents. for the recipe for Long Island iced tea. No, I mean, LTEA is a symbol, and it's 2 to 12. Yeah. Well, That's like the 1920s. Well, that's what happens, I guess, when you got people scouring the internet or scouring any kind of filing documentation that would include the words Bitcoin, blockchain, I don't know, Ethereum, cryptocurrency, Ripple. Good morning, Virginia Virginia Morris, Phil Thomas, Julian Davidson, having a sprightly day in Hicksville, New York, Uh, Long Island iced tea. Uh, a corporation. We say good morning to Oliver Chen, and I want to do a shout here, a shout out here for the gentleman from Cowan, and that people come in and they're gloomy on retail, and Oliver is sort of on an even keel basis for 36 months. Said, you know what? They're still going to show up at the door. Get over it. What did? How did you respond to the truly jump condition in retail sales economically that we saw across the nation last quarter? Yeah, what we've seen here is a delay in terms of the the inventory being under good control as well as better weather. So those have been very helpful factors with regards to what's been happening. And also, as you know, Tom, there's been so much of a transformation in retail. We've had multiple years in terms of the battle versus Amazon, et cetera. Oliver, is it really just Amazon that is causing the issue or is it that perhaps the actual merchandise is not what people want, particularly in the apparel industry, because I think of success stories like Canada Goose, and then you look at what happens to the main retailers, such as Macy's, where are their brands? Where is their creative coming from? There has been a lot, Pim, in terms of a high degree of sameness. So innovation is so important. Uh, Lululemon is a name that we like, as well as Canada Goose. And what you find is, really differentiated brands with a strong functional proposition, balancing uh, femininity as well as function can win the game. And brands are the battle. Uh, Thinking hard about brands and content and lifestyle, that that really needs to happen in newness. What happens is there's too much safety and retailers and brands don't take enough risk and things start to just look the same. But Tom, I'm wearing these shoes for you today, and you can see. Oh, come they look on! A Let me special. hold it. Give me your foot. We got to hold this up for the radio audience. Are you kidding wow, me? Wow, slippers! These are like Gucci shoes, and they got an animal attached to the back. You wore these just for me? I did. Look I thought this. of you because they're differentiated, special. Okay, well, let's rip up warm. the scripture. You know, I look at a Canada Goose. You say it's a balanced approach. It unbalances the wallet. We are still an aspirational society. That's the great proof here. If anything, the president uh, sandwiched between Tiffany's and Gucci's for America has brought back that aspiration. How does luxury move forward in 2018, even if all of our tensions on Walmart, Home Depot and the rest? 
Well, we're seeing a, a good Get market. Get closer to the mic, We're Oliver. seeing a good market Thank for luxury and the luxury goods opportunity. How does luxury move forward? It's it's a lot about Generation Z and, and the new, younger, wealthier consumer. If you think about Sotheby's, they're using social media. You can really have breakfast at Tiffany now. And food, travel, and internationalism are key aspects of Generation Z. Yeah, Generation but your names Z. are Walmart, Target, Kohl's, Costco, Macy's, J.C. Panay. Okay, that's a French name. J.C. Panay, Nordstrom. I don't see any luxury names on here. Why not? Uh, well, I am the luxury and the retail analyst. And what we also like is Tiffany, Vuitton, and Sotheby's. At the oh, other end. That was, that's not Louis Vuitton? Well, it, it's anything it's, for you. How do you pronounce it? Louis Vuitton. Oh, thank you. Louis Vuitton. The Tom just knows him by the initials. Go ahead, Oliver. Help us. The reality of what's unamazonable is thinking about high luxury stocks such as LVMH, Tiffany, and then also deep value, Costco, Walmart, TJ Ross. And that's a strategy that we like for portfolio managers and clients in thinking about that. That is a major trend, Tom, in terms of the real, real and upcycling as well. Because what we have with new consumers is a different approach to brands as well. Is the call, is the price point for luxury uh, really just a, a, a kind of a fiction? I mean, what is the price point now when you talk about luxury? Well, th there. I are, mean, is it a five hundred dollar T shirt that you just think who buys well, that? Or in some cases, yes. Because do you think about Vuitton and Supreme and these streetwear brands, where street is quite chic? And some of these average unit retails can Tell be 500 Tell people about Supreme, plus. just that may not know this, because it's not a publicly traded company. It's extremely limited edition goods, and the market resale values are tremendous, and it's t-shirts for $400 plus, bags with Vuitton for $10,000 plus. But it's a phenomenon because there's so much rarity and specialness and uniqueness and very limited production. But where does the marketing come from to make it so special? The marketing comes from being secretive and discreet and also from yeah. a culture that really loves collecting. I think collecting and, and thinking about scarcity is a global right. trend. We could talk to you for eight hours about this. We make jokes about it, folks, but Oliver Chen is totally wired in to all this odd aspirational stuff, and we got to get you back for a longer interview. I want you to parse Zara H&M. Why does Zara have the pixie dust and H&M has lost it. Zara's done a great job with speed, reacting to runway, and really assorting, and also very limited depth and uh, a, a What does that mean, limited depth? What does that Just, mean? You got to get it then and now, otherwise I'll run out of sizes. So they've trained the customer in a very healthy way, and it, we're the Instagram generation. So there's micro-trends happening all over the place, and Zara- What's a micro-trend right now? It, these Gucci Fleur slippers oh, you're me. <laughs> and slides. And Zara well, Tom bought them for you. the long haul, so he's a little annoyed that it's just going to be a short-term thing. So we'll see. Uh, the I mean, fur-lined slippers, those are good. I think should this we, will we, be multi-year. Should we do a photo and put it out on Twitter Dare for I ask radio how much audience? a fur-lined slipper is? No, you well, dare this you is the don't. aspirational version, but I think Zara and others have an accessible version. Phone? We're going to do this, folks. We're going to put a photo out on Twitter for your foot pleasure of one foot Chen and one foot Keen, just to show you. Oliver Chen, we thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. 
Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. 